Hi, my name is Charlie Vitito, and I'm the missions director here. But before that, uh, I was a dentist for 26 years. And um, so our church looks forward to this conference every year. I'm told there's close to 800, 900 families that are housing guests at the conference, which is hugely impactful for us. So they love to hear your stories, and they talk about it all year long. So it's really cool. Um, our, our discussion today is the objectives are up there. And at the end, we want to go back to see if we've accomplished these objectives. I'm supposed to wear two mics. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we, we are just overwhelmed and grateful for what you've done during these uh, last couple of days and uh, how you've spoken and how you've uh, equipped and guided and taught We thank you for your presence, especially how your Holy Spirit has prompted us and convicted us and empowered us and shown us things we hadn't seen before. Father, we pray that this is not just another conference. We pray that it will bear fruit, uh, fruit that will last. So we do pray for those 2.7 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. Lord, um, empower us. Give us... uh, a heart uh, that is like your heart, that uh, is burdened for those folks that don't have the, the good news of Jesus. So we pray for our time today that you will speak, that you'll speak through all those that will share today, and that we'll just have a good time of interaction, good questions. Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to bring up today? That's what we want to know. So you, uh, you do that, Lord, because you're so good at that. And we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. When we came to this conference ten years ago, uh, we would talk about empowering nationals, and people thought we were crazy. And um, But ten years has taught us a lot, and we've seen a lot of fruit. So... Uh, Dr. Vickert, uh, Thursday night, shared very well the issues of relief and development, did he not? And he talked a lot about Haiti, and he talked some about Dominican Republic, and he talked about um, when we stay in relief mode, uh, how devastating it is for, for those communities and those, those nations. So today we want to... Um, offer another model, and we want to discuss it. We don't want to sit here and present. Actually, the format is supposed to be 20 minutes of presentation, 30 minutes of interaction. So if you have no questions, we'll be done early. But um, here's our objectives. We want to demonstrate a health care model that is sustainable in communities where there's, no, where there's limited or no health care. These are unreached areas. This is areas where there may be um, one dentist for 2 million people. We want to know, we want to have a discussion about, is this a safe, can this be done safely? Can we pass on skills to others in a manner that does no harm? Um, The third objective is for you guys to know avenues and be introduced to organizations where you could be involved in this type of ministry. And then lastly, we want to give you specific examples from people on the field of how this model was implemented. So the way I see it, we have two problems, right? We have uh, the first problem is we have 2.7 billion people with no access to the gospel. And we need creative ways to get that to them. If we look at uh, how technology has changed things, there's 7.1 billion cell phone subscriptions in the world today. That's about how many people there are. 91% of the population of the world is within range of a cell phone tower. So the technology that that brings, with, especially with smartphones and with the gospel, with, um, you know, all this technology that I have, don't know half the names of it, Facebook and Twitter and downloads of videos, downloads of the Jesus film, it's very powerful. But satellite TV, all these things being piped into these closed countries. But it's still... It's good at softening the ground, but it still does not create boots on the ground. Boots on the ground are still needed to to take the gospel. Where people can um, be loved, they can have relationship, and that Jesus can be modeled in their lives. 
So we have, that's the number one problem. The second problem we have is people are suffering and dying worldwide because we are keeping our skills to ourselves. And, and so we want to look at Jesus and, and the way he did things. He was all about empowerment. Matter of fact, he, his ministry was three, three and a half years, and then he left. So he said, you 12 guys are going to take the gospel to the rest of the world. And we're in here today because of those 12 guys. So Jesus even trusted his disciples to uh, drive out demons. So if, we can, if Jesus can trust them to drive out demons, is there some things that we can pass on to our brothers and sisters around the world that uh, would, would model that? So we're going to introduce... Um, I want to introduce to you Dr. Tom McKechnie. Dr. Tom McKechnie is an emergency room physician here in Louisville and uh, very active in missions. And he uh, is now working with a ministry that he's established called Teach to Transform that will take medical skills to uh, areas where there's limited or no health care. So I was going to have him share a little bit. I'm going to share a little bit about the dental perspective and then we'll have some other guys share too. So, Tom, if you'll come up and share a little bit. That microphone is good, so I'll give you this recorder. Okay. Hello, everyone. Morning. Let's see if I can get hooked up here. Um. Oh, my gosh. They had to raise the microphone. That's the first. <laughs> I'm hastily pulling it back down. Uh, as he said, my name's Tom McKechnie. Uh, very humbled to be on this panel. Uh, uh, I, as he said, uh, have been trained in emergency medicine. And my story um, I will be very brief with because I think the other people on the panel have much more to offer than I do. Uh, my story is uh, one of arrogance and pride. I was trained in emergency medicine, and my goal was to be a good father, husband, and and physician. And for many years of my emergency medicine training, I was struggling with where was God. So I came to my faith later in my life, and have been on a sprint to heaven since. But um, I saw a lot of tragedy in the ER, and I kept asking, "Where, where are you, God, in all this? I couldn't explain the terrible things that I would see. Uh, I have many stories of that. An example would be a child that I tried to resuscitate years ago who was 10 years old, same as the age of my son. And God was continuing to chip away at my arrogance. And uh, this child I could not resuscitate. And when I went into the family room to tell him, I did not realize he was one of triplets. Uh, so when I saw the two children sitting there, identical to the uh, person I just called the code on, um, I teared up and I couldn't speak. And the father stood up and hugged me and he said, it's okay, we're going to see him again. And I thought, my gosh, what faith. Whatever he has, I want it so badly. So fast forward, God took me through uh, this chipping away, and I finally saw the light. Uh, But still had a lot of pride and arrogance in in the way I viewed things. So uh, being um, an emergency room doctor, as you know, we're we're quick movers, a little bit of ADD. I said, okay, I'm good. God, you showed me this. I'm going on a mission. So... I went on a mission trip, and uh, the first part of my mission career was, again, very prideful, uh, focusing on physical needs. In fact, one uh, trip, um, God forgive me, we saw almost 5,000 patients in a week. And every day we tried to close the clinic. I would ask my wife, is the line getting shorter? Because in America, when the emergency room got busier, I just worked faster. And the line went on for hundreds. And the pastor said to me, how are we going to close this? What should I tell them? So I said, okay, focused on physical needs. I said, well, I'll just go out and pick out the sickest. So I walked through lines of 100 and picking out sick children, and I thought, once again, I was doing a good thing. And I went back to, um, to America, and everybody asked me how to go, and they were giving me all these accolades, and I was just wrapped up in, in arrogance. Um, and then I began uh, to be hit by Scripture who said, uh, whenever pride and ego gets in the way, what we need to do is we need to follow the model of Christ. And what did he do? He washed the apostles' feet. So then I, uh, God began to put uh, strong mentors in front of me, like Charlie Vitito, who I saw his dental, just empowering constantly on our trips. I had uh, Florence Mwindi from Life in Abundance, uh, Steve Saint, who hit me over the head saying, you're doing this all wrong. So... 
Uh, and that was hard to take. Uh, and you can imagine doctors in their pride. I know it's hard to believe. But, uh, so, so then I started looking at admissions, and Teach to Transform came out of these wonderful mentors I've had, and I can take no credit for it because God put it on my heart and all these wonderful mentors. So fast forward uh, to last week. We were in Myanmar. So our goal is to find out the needs of our indigenous partners and what, what their needs were. Is they said This was an orphanage uh, with uh, a trip with hopeful hearts, with Empower that Charlie started, and then Teach to Transform. They said our issues are we have children who are leaving the orphanages with no skill set, and the women usually turn to prostitution to survive, and the men uh, drugs. So they said, well, what can we give? So I was told a long time ago that Teach to Transform is much bigger than I could imagine, and they said... Uh, Pastor King's Pride, you may know him, said, you need to move out of the way and let God work. So I did that. So we're now involved with veterinarians, farmers for agriculture. So I asked a mechanic, mechanic, I said, can you offer these children anything? He said, well, we can do motorcycle repair. So we put a motorcycle repair module together. And the girls, uh, we did sewing. We did uh, hairdressing. So as we went into this country last week, we began to take the boys and we taught them motorcycle repair. And instantaneously they had them... They had a, a ministry where they said, okay, we're going to figure out how much it costs to fix the motorcycle, add a fee to it, and they had instant business within five days. The girls were cutting hair. They also were given a skill set to keep them off the streets. The medical side of this was the pastors, we, this is our second training there, and the pastors said uh, we are having mothers dying in the mountains from postpartum bleeding. They also had a lot of uh, babies dying because of resuscitation issues. So... We've got the Helping Babies Breathe model, which is wonderful. Uh, that, that's another reason I say Teach to Transform is not uh, inclusive. It's, I, I'm constantly looking for things to bring to the mission field through the ministry. So we put Helping Babies Breathe, and then we also put together an obstetrical module that I've been working on that addressed these issues. So when we went in there to train, these pastors that we had trained uh, six months earlier, the one pastor stood up and said, I have seen 450 patients with the training that you've given me. And he was evangelizing in the mountains near China. Some of the pastors had traveled six days to get to the clinic. So when I looked over, my, my focus is always to pray with the patients. So when I said, when you go into a delivery and you're asked to, uh, to do, help deliver the baby, I say, pray with the mother, pray with the f- household, and pray over the baby, and God gets the glory. No matter what happens, it's in God's hands, not yours. So when we do the training uh, and we do a scenario with a, with a little baby doll, and resuscitation, I said, we must pray first. Uh, and I'm very adamant about not just going through the motions, but actually praying. So I turn around and I see, um, I always make a rule not to talk about mission trips for a week because I get too emotional. But I turned and I look, and here is this pastor holding this baby in his hands. And he's on the floor on his knees. And he's praying. So I turned to my team and I said, can you imagine? Who would you rather share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this mountain? Me, who's here for a week, or this pastor who has this much passion, knows his culture, knows the language, and can share the gospel. So praise God for that. Uh, And I would like to turn the rest of this over to the wonderful partners we have. They can learn much more than me. Thank you. So I think you heard Tom's heart, and uh, I just love his humility. And uh, it does take... Uh, that brokenness of our spirit to say, wait a second, uh, this is not the way God would want to do things, where we go and we treat a bunch of patients and then we leave hundreds of patients behind. And uh, so we have to, the gospel uh, demands we take another approach. And uh, so that's what we're doing. Okay, Hom, we bring up Deepak uh, Dingra who's from uh, northern India, and he's going to share. We had done some training in May of this last year, and, and, de- and primarily in dentistry, some medicine. But um, So he's going to share his story a little bit about how it's impacted his ministry and, and the fruit that's come from that. Yes. Just stand right there. Yeah. How many dentists are in, the, in your area? In uh, my, is there access to dental care in your area? Okay, in my area, with the city I live, yes, we have access to dental care. Okay. There are hundreds of doctors. Uh-huh. But then if you go 30 miles away to the different parts of northwest India, 
millions of people and there are hardly any dentists. So every dentist wants to come to bigger cities. Uh -huh. okay. So, yeah. Okay. Is, uh, is health care affordable there? Uh, are dental care affordable for people? For people in city, yes. Mm -hmm. But people living out of the city, no, it's not affordable. India is, you know, 1.2 billion people and 80% are living in rural areas. So India is not Mumbai, Chennai, or they say the shining India, which not many people understand, but 80% of the Indians still live in rural, rural areas. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. We are so fortunate to uh, have Empower team come and uh, train uh, some of our preachers and their wives uh, with this uh, the skill, dental skill. Uh, initially, I was, uh, I was just confused, didn't you? Because I have been working with the... Uh, fame for many years and we used to have teams come over and as doctor said in his previous meeting they used to, the teams used to come do medical camp and go away and uh, leaving us to rest right there for many many years until I met uh, Dr. Wichito and, uh, and uh, his team came over and uh, before coming, the team came over I was invited to attend a training seminar in southern part of India I live in northwest India and I was invited to go to Caleb's place in southern part of India and uh, I was able to take two of my preachers there and we attended that seminar and two of my preachers learned the skill and we came back and uh, then the Empower team came and then they trained uh, many of our preachers. There was a church that was struggling in a state called Haryana. If you go look at the map, Haryana is in northwest of India, one of the least unleashed areas. Right next door is Himachal Pradesh. Uh, we have anti-conversion law and so most of these states have anti-conversion law. And uh, this one small church in a tiny town, uh, not a village, I can say, it's a small town, uh, where there are maybe two or three dentists for uh, people of 100,000 people. We had a church that was struggling from opposition from the community. It's a great church, a small congregation, but the neighbors were uh, threatening the church pastor. Uh, they would not allow the people to come in on Sunday mornings. Uh, many of the neighborhood people would come and stand next to the door and uh, discourage people, especially the first-timers. And this was a struggling church. When Empower came to train uh, many of our preachers, uh, the preacher and his wife from this church also came and they got the training. And after the training, uh, they didn't even ask me. They went back to their church and they set up a small um, clinic there. Uh, they were given a chair from, uh, from Steve Stain, I think, so created the chair. And they took the chair, purchased medicines which are very inexpensive back in the cities and they set up a small clinic and right uh, on the first week itself few of the neighbors they came and uh, they saw this clinic and they had bad dental problems and um, this uh, wife and husband they treated them first week was normal we had a sick man a, a sick S-I-K-H sick man sick you call it sick we had a sick man uh, who was uh, uh, our neighbor and he used to always trouble the church what happened is uh, the, uh, the land right opposite to the church was that belonged to the sick man. He built a small wall, six-foot wall, so that people would not see the church and would not come out there. So his wife was suffering from this toothache for many, many years ago. Now pastor and his wife didn't know what to do, but after this training, they immediately, uh, you know, this man brought uh, his wife there and they treated, and his life was transformed, and, and, and the entire community in just one month changed so much that, you know, the wall was gone, the people started inviting their friends come and get their tooth, uh, you know, treated, and, and in a few months, uh, the church is transformed, people are just flowing in, the neighborhood has become so friendly, finally they have seen that this church is doing something impractical, and we were able to share, and we are still sharing gospel to hundreds of people each day, and now this church, the best thing is, uh, also is charging a little fee from people who come which they can afford and then buy medicine and also you now the tithes have uh, is coming up from uh, small income so things have just changed and it has really encouraged me or, or other missionary partners and uh, this is a small story that I want to share that yes God has been good and we are so fortunate to get our people trained this is an eye opening and in January he's coming with the team and we would like him to go there and witness in a day how many people come there okay so, this is interactive. Time. You guys have questions for Deepak. Yeah. Any questions? Yes. How long was the training you guys directed? Uh, it was uh, a total six days of training. Uh, 
all five to six days of training, and uh, and it was amazing. It's amazing. We can't explain that. You know, sometimes people, you know, have ideas. How can they learn? But I tell you, this training is amazing. It is. Our people really got it. If I say 20 people, at least 14 of them are doing it. Then there are others who fell back, scared of blood, and there have been some opposition, you know, all kind of things. So, yeah. So, yeah. Tell about the training. He'll be able to tell you. Okay, good. That's a good question. The training is like a day and a half of classroom training. Uh, And so the first afternoon, the students are paired up, and they're giving each other local anesthetic to each other. So that's the first day. And then the second day, they're learning all the surgical instruments because where there's no access to dental care, the overwhelming need is uh, extraction of abscessed teeth. And people are suffering tremendously. So I love this model because it's through the church. And the church is seen as the one that's providing the, the meeting the needs of the community. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have two questions. One, yeah. how do you All right, how do we pick the people? Uh, we announce this within our uh, preachers and the churches, and uh, we counsel with them, we talk to them, and we, we ask them to pray. And, uh, you know, it's very simple. Then we encourage them that this is what this model can do. This will open doors for us to go and share the gospel where people, you know, don't allow us to even uh, do anything. about. They forget about sharing the gospel. You don't even talk about Jesus. So we just randomly open this, and many preachers... And their associates are evangelists, and even lay people can come over. So this is how we pick up. It's not that anybody has to have any qualification, but yes, they need to know and speak some English, read some English. They need to be a little literate and, and need to understand exact, you know, a little bit of medicine. So, so those are the criteria. But yeah, we can really identify that yeah, this man is capable. And then, we, uh, the second question was. Yeah, so what happened is uh, we had a team uh, of people who learned sterilization and hygiene and, and, and the dental. So what we do is uh, we uh, have uh, four or five people uh, together to go and work in one particular place to make sure that, you know, everybody is helping each other. Uh, we don't uh, let, you know, one single person to start pulling up teeth. No, they, it, it can mess up. So initially we did medical camps uh, along with our partners from South India. We did many medical camps. Once the training was over, we did around 25, 30 medical camps as a team. Two or three different teams went and did. And wherever the results were negative, we kept the team out. And we, we discouraged them to just wait till the next training thing come or whatever. So it's not that everybody started doing this. So this is how we keep an eye and check on that. And then if there is any complication, then we have doctor friends in city whom, whose help we can take. There, recently there was a problem, you know, where the bleeding was not stopping and this God, man got panicked and he started fainting called us and, you know, somehow we stopped the blood and later we were able to take this friend, dentist, travel about one hour and we were able to take care of this. So, this kind of things can happen. This is a challenge. Uh, we have to somehow take care of this. Does this answer your question? One of the things that we do too is um, when we we allow the church to select the students and we, uh, two things are required, good eyesight and um, a deep faith that they want to share their faith and they're mature believers. And so they're naturally, we're not training anybody in evangelism because they have a deep desire to be evangelist and to share their faith. And and even when the students come through, um, maybe 60 or 70% of them pass. There's some that still don't quite get it. And so we, we say we're going to allow you to do some sterilization or do some other task because they won't. Uh, we want to make sure that this is uh, as safe as possible. Now, on sterilization, this is one of the benefits of the HIV crisis is people understand germs now, and they know how germs are transmitted. And so one of the things we tell them in the training is when the government officials come in, that's the first thing they're going to look at. They're going to look at how is your sterile technique. So we're like... Uh, Vince Lombardi. Wow, that's a little, that's not really good. That's an old guy. Uh, we're very strict on that. And um, so we're very specific because um, 
they're, they're putting themselves in danger. They're putting their families in danger. They're putting uh, their ministry in danger. They're putting other patients uh, in danger. So we're really strict on that. So we find that uh, when we go back a year later, uh, their sterile technique is outstanding. So that's a good question. Okay, we we actually are training um, people in the church. Sometimes it's pastor, sometimes it's member of the church to do dentistry and and medicine, basic um, health care, and we're training them so they have the skills. Does that answer your question? I just didn't know if it was like you were establishing a place Yeah, like this one example I gave, this couple set up a clinic in the church, you know, it's a permanent clinic. So everybody knows in the community that they have to come. Then there are others, evangelists, who go from village to village. Suppose if there is a village of, a small village has about at least 60 to 70,000 people in India, that's the smallest village. So once you go to the village, every second person has this problem, hygiene, tooth, general physics. So these evangelists carry a chair, they go, uh, they set up uh, small gospel meetings through their friends uh, or members who invite to them. And then, you know, then they talk about, you know, okay, can we play, pray for your physical needs if you're sick? And, you know, then they also say that, okay, we have someone who can work on the tooth. And, you know, if there are 100 people sitting there, 80 will say, oh, we won't have this problem. Thus, we set up a clinic there. But it's not a permanent clinic. It's a temporary clinic. So, yeah. Me, personally? That's what our next step is. People who got training are now going, uh, the next team when it comes, then we are, go- they're going to monitor them and check if they are equipped to start training others. That's what we want to do, yes. We cannot get Dr. Vijay to come here every time. So now we want to multiply them, train our own people. Yes. But we kind of control that very well. We, we all, we want to make sure that anybody that's a training and equipping others, we feel very confident that they can do that. So there's not being done that often. However, uh, I'm going to bring Caleb up from southern India. Oh, you looked at me like you're surprised. <laughs> so stand right here, Caleb. It's on this mic. He's putting and me on the I'm putting, okay, so, and, and Caleb, he's in the south near Hyderabad, and we started training eight or nine years ago when you did the initial 2005. training. 2005. So eight years ago. Ten, ten, ten five, yes. So these pastors and these in uh in the rural areas or outside of Hyderabad, have been trained and um, extremely highly skilled men. That actually, if there's any American dentists in here, I'd rather go with them than you. <laughs> They're that good. It's amazing. And uh, so they come and they went with us in May to train in the north. So it's possible to do this because they're that skilled. Okay, Caleb, you want to share a little bit about your experience? I have. Nothing much to add to what um, Deepak and Charlie has already stated. All I would say is our pastors are thriving. They are looked up and esteemed, and they are the most wanted people. Very similar to what Deepak has shared with you. In one instance, one of our pastor, Ratnakar, he was targeted. He was actually uh, accused of practicing sorcery, and they wanted to bump him off. Does that mean kill him? Kill him. (laughs) So, now Ratnakar, when he has acquired these skills, he took the first dental outreach right into that village. People were amazed, this pastor, pastors doing this dentistry. And then the guy who led the mob to attack Ratnakar, his mother had an issue, tooth problem, and then uh, she went all over. They could afford, and they went into the towns where there was a dentist he could not fix. She heard about Ratnakar, and she just wanted to try. She came, and then she was so touched by this man, not, not only through his physical touch, but also he was able to... F- fix her tooth. When she went back and told 
her son, he was amazed. He said, I wanted to actually harm him. I didn't want him to live. Now, how could he actually, he could have killed my mother, but then he actually touched her and helped her. And now, that man who led the mob to attack him is his fan. He gifts things to him, including a very nice-looking mobile phone, which even I don't have. <laughs> so that's what it can do. Again, Charlie has said, um, these guys have the divine unction because they are not thought to evangelize. They already have that passion. They are using these skills to impact people. On one instance, Charlie was down there. We both were looking around he went to one pastor and he said, how many tooth, this, um, how many roots does this tooth have? And this pastor responded to Charlie and said, three roots. And Charlie turned to me and said, no. But then he said, okay, we will wait and see what he does because um, he, he is their guru, by the way. And then uh, he does not impose himself on them, but then he allows them to make mistakes and then learn through those mistakes. And he thought, uh, another 20 minutes later, this pastor comes like, you know, he carries, got a reward, a trophy, comes running and tells, shows Charlie on his face. And, and then Charlie goes, blink. There were three roots. And Charlie said, in all of my five years of dental school, I have not learned this. There is something special. Am I right, Charlie? You're right. Yes. And these guys, and um, can you imagine the police sponsoring the dental camps? This bunch of Christian pastors are doing. The police sponsors our medicines. They take care of our hospitality. Uh, they care of, take care of the hospitality and they take us into the interior jungles to do these camps to help people because they are out to confront the ultras who are called Naxalites um, to do good to people. They are using us. But we are happy because they are sponsoring and they are covering the cost. Can you imagine the government recognizes us? They have no problems with us because we are doing good to the people. There's a question over there. Yes. Um, I have a question, question and then possibly a follow-up question. Uh, not in the medical camp so much, but you have now trained a pastor and a few of the people in his church to do this. And so now you have um, people from his church and his village coming to him. Um, what are or are there financial components that care. You're asking me or Deepak? Okay. Can you summarize your question I'll, real I'll quick? summarize it for you. The question is, the people that are trained, are they charging a fee? Basically. Basically is the question. Okay. Uh, here is what we are doing. We do the outreaches, if I may be asked to do that, dental outreaches, medical outreaches. At these outreaches, we do these extractions. Uh, to some extent, fillings also free of cost. Yes, free of cost. But then what we are doing at this is also making connections. There are so many people who are, who are in need of extra care, maybe filling the cavities and um, some hygiene issues, some issues that cannot be fixed there. We have passing out these business cards, there is no concept of business cards there with just printed address uh, because we go to different places. So there we say, okay, here is the local pastor. You need to go and see him, uh, fix an appointment with him. Uh, when, and then they go to his place. Uh, he's ready to receive them, make them sit on the dental chair and uh, work with them. And that is by appointment and that is also by payment. Not making money, but covering the cost of medicines and making it self-sustainable. So then my follow-up question would be, um, one word, accountability, question mark. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Um, we have a structure. I count myself as a servant of the servant, but I also happen to be their boss. 
and they report back to me, and um, I I oversee their operations. The question is about accountability, and uh, that's a good question, and that's why it's so important how you pick the people you partner with. Like, we vet out our partners. These guys have been vetted out. They, they understand a philosophy. They have accountability structures in place. They understand that when we pass these skills on, now they are responsible. Because when the Indian government or somebody comes to them, the buck stops with them. And so they have they can't have people out doing stuff and they don't know what they're doing. So the accountability structure is naturally in place already in their structure. They don't have the freedom. The guys we train don't have the freedom to go do whatever they want to do. Yeah, that's very important. So that's why that partnership is so key. Actually, probably most people we could not partner with because they wouldn't understand this concept. So, yes. Yes. Um, these guys, um, most of the people that we're partnering with are parachurch that's working with the church. They're there to empower the church and to have an effect on it. So um, it would be challenging for us to work in India directly with a local church. That would be very challenging for us. We need uh, people kind of as intermediaries to communicate because there's such a vast cultural difference. So that's what Deepak and Caleb and then Francis also provides. I'll bring him up in a second. Does that make sense? It does. I just was kind of wondering, allowing just for doctrinal differences and certainly cultural differences. Yes. Okay, so doctrinally, uh, we have a statement of faith and that we, we go by. And these guys agree with our statement of faith. So as long as we're in agreement that way, then we're good. Yeah. Yes. Oh, great question. You know, I'm not sure how much. We've talked about this so much. I'm not sure how much. So the question is, where has this been implemented? Um Who's somebody with them power? Oh, Carrie and she. Okay, Kelly. I mean. Yeah, so you can use it both ways. Now, one of the things, it's probably not its not going to be effective in Caribbean, Central America. There's some remote areas in South America you could use this model, but mostly this is in uh, unreached areas. It's in the 1040 window is where this is most powerful. So don't think about going doing this in the Caribbean. A little bit in Haiti we've done it. Uh, Tom, where else? South Sudan. South Sudan Ghana. Ghana, Nigeria, Sierra Leone, uh, so there's a lot of places that it can be used. Um, what are some of the barriers you found? It's just the, uh, it's just the, the legal issues of, um, of having somebody that doesn't have a dental license practicing. But in areas, I'll give you an example. Northern Ghana, there's one, I think I said already, one dentist for 2 million people. So they started working. These four guys we trained in 2004, they started working, and about a year later, the government comes in from Tamale, which is 11 hours away. I mean, from Accra, which is 11 hours away. They come in, they say, what are you doing? Who's doing this? We've already been around the whole community, checked you out to see if you're providing good care. You're providing excellent care. Therefore, keep going. 
And that's what the health department from the federal government in Ghana said. So that's why excellence and is very important. You, you can't uh, make mistakes. Mistakes are going to happen, but you, the training is so intense, you have to do it exactly the way we teach you. You cannot leave root tips in dentistry. Um, you have to learn how to control bleeding. You have to learn how to control post-op, deal with post-op problems, and this is all very important. So, yes, question in the back. Yeah. Okay. The question is, um, how? What does the the training process look like, and what do the educational materials look like? Right. Okay. 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 Um, actually, iTech initially started this, and, and they did a phenomenal job of making a, a nonverbal training video. Um, they explain germ um, things about germs in about five minutes. It's amazing, and, it, and people can see it and understand it. And if I were to try to do that, it would take me three hours to write a lecture on, you know, how do germs get transmitted. It would be crazy. So we, it, it's a collaboration of a lot of folks. So, um, And then it's always evolving because we don't have time to teach all that we learned, of course. And so we focus on um, what's important for them to know. There's a question back there. So the question is, what are the legal ramifications of training people that will not have a dental license in areas where there's yeah, or, or medical? Yes. Yes. Okay. Francis, why don't you come up and did you understand the question? Okay. So let Francis answer that question. Okay. Go ahead. Um, I I would like to share what we have had. We also had issues like the government. Like most of our dental outreaches, um, they are picked up by the local press. So the news comes out. The district collector happened to see this and he said, this is not right. And then he questioned. He also sent the district medical officer to work, I mean, uh, look out, check out, check us out. Very similar to what Charlie has shared. The medical officers saw our work so good, gave a very good report. Now, through us, now the local government um, dispensaries are equipped with the dental chairs as much. We also got the approval, but then uh, they are getting, they are putting the government um, medical personnel to work just like we do. And they're supplying medicines to us. And number two, we also found out uh, there is a certificate program called um, St. John's Ambulance Training. It's, um, it's the government-sponsored, uh, recognized program. We got all our pastors uh, take those. It's basically a first aid training where you are taught how to give shots and uh, take care of the wounds. But then that is giving us a cover to go and practice what we are able to practice. Okay, excellent. So the question is about the, um, the government regulations and things like that. Francis is a missionary in northern Ghana. He's Kenyan, and he and his wife Pamela have been there for about three years, a little over three years, and they are empowering the church in northern Ghana to, uh, to reach out to their community. Uh, when we came to Ghana, we, our strategy is to teach the churches because they're part of the community. We do deliberately encourage them to go and talk to the local government. In Ghana, we have the uh, central government and the district government. And the district government executives, some of them are appointed by the president. And normally when a decision is made at the local level, there's no way the central government can overrule it. 
So we went and asked uh, permission. First of all, the social welfare department came and found out what we are doing. And they said, you have come to help our people. And in any way we can help you, please tell us. So we told them we want NGO status. So they gave us papers we filled. She came and checked. And then they gave us a certificate to operate in the country. Uh, that certificate is, we can open in any other region in Ghana. And the reason is we wanted to protect the lay dental workers and the medical, lay medical workers who are trained in wound treatment, uh, taking vital signs, so that if there is a problem, we normally tell them go to the district executive. And actually one day the medical department called me when the Empower team was there. Somehow they heard what was happening. So I told them, no, if you have any problem, please can you go and see the district executive chairman? Because they have approved what we do. So the guy got afraid. And he said, okay, when you want to start a full permanent clinic, allow us to come and inspect it. But we don't do permanent clinic, only do two days per week. Uh, we do vital science, we do dental care, wood treatment. And the, we have many patients who come through from very far. Some of them are from the government. We have treated people from the regional hospital because the, the dentist either is busy or he has gone to the villages. And the patients come to us so they know what we are doing. The, one of the other things also to encourage you, from my experience in Kenya or other countries, I, I don't fear the government. There's always this fear, what will the government do? But there's this problem, is government change policy. And sometimes what you are doing becomes a role model. They can change the policy. I've seen it when you work in children's homes, adoption process. Because if people are not getting services, someone has to provide it. So that's the question we throw back. We can't have people having wounds 10 years, a wound is not being treated. Uh, you find the wound is rotting and no one can do it. And everybody is afraid to do it, but we are the only ones who can do it. Or someone comes that tooth has been having infection for six years. Inside it's rotting. So somehow they said, you go ahead. One day we went to see the deputy regional director of health services. She's born again. She just told us one thing. Make sure your equipment is clean. And she told us, go ahead. If there's any problem, you call me. So it's good to know the local environment. It's also good to prepare the churches because we came into training to begin. We left northern Ghana in four months ago. And the pastor is able to organize the churches to go for outreaches using the dental workers and the lay medical workers. And she calls my wife, who is a nurse and a midwife. Now you can go back to Kenya. We can continue without you. Because they know the supply chain. We have told them how to order medicine, how to deal with the government. And we have a team that can protect them if there's a problem. Yeah. So it's a structural setup you have to do to help the church because they don't have that know-how. Yeah. You have to train them in evangelism and many other things. Just to add to that from the medical side, I make a point to try and contact the local medical clinic to involve them uh, so we're not in competition. So the goal is not to make these pastors physicians in a week in our five-day training with the modules. It's to make them healthcare screeners. Most of the medical clinics and government, when we involve them, are quick to embrace the idea of these pastors going out in the community, triaging, like Francis says, identifying who's sick, who's not, and it takes, uh, they share the burden in the clinic. So the physicians and the nurse practitioners that are working in these clinics really embrace the idea of someone going into the communities and lifting up uh, their arms to know who's sick, who's not, help them with prenatal care. So I, we try and make a point to find the local clinics so that we don't compete with them, but these pastors then develop the network that Francis is talking about. They sometimes help with medicines. The, the churches realize how important these pastors are in their medical care, and what they've done in Myanmar is they're setting a donation cup in their church for medicines to restock their, their backpacks in areas that are unreached. So it depends on the level. If there's a local clinic, we involve them. If they're up in the mountains where there's no access, we can take the pastors to a higher level to give basic medicines to take care of them. So involving the local uh, medical community is important, and they usually embrace the idea and not compete with us. Um, our uh, 
Uh, we had the opportunity to speak at the Global Missions Conference in Nairobi, and we had over 50 pastors want this model to empower uh, their communities. Um, so we've actually got uh, some people in Africa right now looking at site visits. We have uh, here at the Global Missions have a lot of interest in this. So we're willing to, uh, if you check out the websites, uh, Teach to Transform, Empower, iTech, we're all working together for the glory of God. This is not a competition, so we're... We're feeding off each other to make things better. So I would uh, encourage you to visit these websites. We'll be posting our trips, but we are willing to come, like iTech and Empower, to come train you to use this material. Uh, our goal is to choose uh, the criteria that Dr. Charlie has talked about to um, identify partners. So if you have a particular mission field you're working on or we have one, we have trips lined up now uh, that we have not enough manpower uh, as that's biblical, that we need uh, uh, to harvest this crop. So uh, if you go to our websites, join us on our mission trips. We'll come speak to you about how this model works. Uh, this wave in mission work uh, has been changed, like Dr. Charlie said, over the last few years. So we're trying to get the word out to stop going and doing. Uh, serve with humility for God's glory, and the way to do that is to empower your mission field with, with education. And that's what we're trying to do. So I would encourage you to go to these websites. Empower Southeast runs mission trips all year long. Uh, they'll be publishing there soon. So uh, we can all work together for the glory of God and prepare you to go and teach. And there would be nothing more valuable, and I know Charlie feels the same, with Empower and Teach to Transform. If I go back in an area three years from now, they don't know Dr. Tom, they don't know Teach to Transform, but they know their pastor who's lifted them up and loved them in the name of Christ. That is, that is our goal. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. So go on a trip. Yes. <laughs> We've got plenty of work. Yeah. Pray for us. <laughs> Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are just so humbled that you chose us to be in this room today. The life stories that we have in this room to come to this place in this time is no mistake, Lord. You're touching our hearts, Lord. We're here for a reason. Surrender to it. As our sister in the plenary sessions and Carrie told us, be courageous. Move pride and ego out of the way, Lord. Give us humility to serve like you teach us to serve. To be on our knees, washing the feet of those we serve. Lift them up, Lord. And give them the tools that they can gain access to those who've never heard the wonderful story of salvation you give us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen.